0: Initiatives like Pathways to Bright Futures allow students to graduate high school with an associate degree or an industry-based credential along with their high school diploma. More information at ebrschools.org. And by three-roll estate craft rum distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane, three-roll is cane to glass.
1: From Mansur's on the Boulevard, we're out to lunch with Stephanie Regal. It's business.
2: Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Since almost the beginning of time, humans have come up with communal methods of eating that reflect their particular human condition. In our world, we've married eating with capitalism. We've devised a method of paying for other people to prepare meals for us in spaces we call restaurants. As our communities have gotten bigger and restaurants have proliferated, the competition among them has gotten more serious and. As it is when any market gets saturated with competitive choice, prices come down to attract customers. Of course, keeping a restaurant open requires more than just the ability to cook good food. The biggest restaurant chains in the world, if you ask a food critic, often have the worst food. In this kind of topsy-turvy business, what do you do to keep a restaurant profitable? Do you stick with quality and hope you find an appreciative market? Or do you turn to big data, IT systems, and digital intermediation? With me today to discuss this is Gabe Bacoli, the Edward Schleter Chair of Information Sciences at LSU's E.J. Uso College of Business and a member of the Cultural Computing Group at the Center for Computation and Technology. He's held tenured academic positions at Cornell as well as at universities in France and Italy. During his tenure at Cornell in the early 2000s, Gabe was on the faculty of the Hotel School where he became interested in the hospitality industry. During his 25 year career, which actually started at LSU with a PhD, his work has focused on the value creation potential of new technology. His academic teaching and consulting interest is in digital strategy and digital customer service systems, which is what we're going to talk about today with respect to the restaurant industry. Thank you so much for being here. Thank it's you great for having to see me. you. With me and Gabe is Steven Hightower, managing partner of the City Group Hospitality Restaurant Group, which owns and operates 11 operations with seven unique concepts, including City Pork, Soleil, City Slice, Pints and Pizza, Proverbial Wine and Bistro, Rouge Creole and Hub and Spoke, as well as Turning Point Food Services, which runs the cafeteria at Catholic High School. Steven is a repeat guest on this show, but because of his expertise in the food service industry and the rapid growth of his company, we wanted to catch up. Those who know Stephen are familiar with the details of his story. He began his career at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse in Baton Rouge and worked his way up the ladder. After launching a couple of his own ventures, he hit on just the right concept for Baton Rouge in 2012 with the launch of City Pork. And in the decades since, we've seen explosive growth and very interesting times in the restaurant industry. Ups and downs, but but good for you. Welcome back.
3: Oh, Thank you, Stephanie. Honored to be here again.
2: Okay, so Gabe, you work with big data and sort of the nexus between data and IT and the hospitality industry. Tell us, how do they intersect?
1: Yeah, so uh, for me, the hospital industry is a passion, right? So I was trained at LSU. Uh, My PhD is in information system from a business school. Never really spent much time thinking about hospitality from the inside out. And um, when I graduated with my PhD, I actually received um, an inquiry for a job talk at the Cornell Hotel School. And it's funny now, but I remember saying, well, you know, thank you for the inquiry, but hospitality is a little restrictive. Sure. And uh, and the person who was interviewing uh, Roy Alvarez had the foresight to say, well, let's just meet at the conference and have lunch. I'll buy you lunch and then uh, we'll go from there. So he proceeded to enlighten me about the hospitality industry in all the segments, right? So hotels, restaurants, uh, casinos, uh, resorts, cruise lines, and you could go on forever. So one of the largest industries in the world, if not the largest by employment. And um, so I ended up taking the job and basically fell in love with the industry. Um, Very complex, incredibly complex industry. Uh, at first I worked in hotels and it's, again, it's funny because hotel people oftentimes says, well, we're not very tech savvy, but I always tell everybody that the hotel industry had e-commerce before, way before e-commerce was a word. Um, if you book an airline ticket, if you book a hotel room, you're using a GDS, a global distribution system systems pioneered in the 60s. Wow. And that's basically a computer-mediated transaction, which today you would call e-commerce without thinking twice.
2: So interesting. Let me bring Stephen into the conversation here before we get too much into the digital side, because I want to talk about that. But Stephen, you also have always had a passion for the hospitality and restaurant industry.
3: Yes. it's. uh, I mean, I think Gabe hits it right right on the right word for passion and at the same time the ability to you know what you fall in love with is the ability to affect other people and that's through your employees and through the relationships with the guests and you know we work holidays we work weekends when everybody else is having fun we're working but if you understand that and realize the power of what we do and and uh, creating great memories or good times whatever it may be then you're you're stuck in this and I never <laughs> plan- I thought I was going to law school but all of a sudden, got in this, and the rest is history. So. There you go.
2: Now, y- y'all are up to 11 concepts, unique mm-hmm. concepts, under the umbrella of Citigroup. Um, why are you scaling so fast? Is it an economies of scale kind of thing? Is the demand there? Do you just see so much potential? Because well, I, I know I, it's hard to, like, manage growth, but y'all are going for it, sort of covering many, many bases.
3: It, and it definitely has been hard. At the same time, uh, you know, in during the pandemic, we began to get phone calls, hey, and it was sad phone calls from people that just weren't gonna be able to make it af- before, during, or after. So, uh, we technically gambled on on that space saying that the world's gonna come back to normal at some point and the opportunities were there. And, you know, I think the uncertainty of the market allowed for us to to grab some decent business deals and and then, you know, hope that we could Keep it going just enough to ride it out through the the pandemic and you know hopefully you know no new variants pop up and we can continue to move forward but you know it was a risk but at the same time we knew that the reward could be there and you know now it's kind of shifting for us into a little bit more of the people process piece of it but you know if the right opportunity pops up who knows
2: and it, and it's a it's a challenging difficult industry to make it in maybe maybe all sectors are but how does you know digital intermediation play into it and what kind of pressures and opportunities are we seeing for restaurants today because of the technology that's out there Gary? yeah
1: so it's kind of a double-edged sword yeah. this this technology right for the hospitality industry and and again one thing I'll come back to is how complex it is, how many moving parts it has, and um, how, you know, razor thin margins are, particularly in restaurants, yes. right? And so the use of digital technology can be extremely helpful. I'll give you one example. Say that you are, are growing the business. Say that you are a large, of, um, a large brand, right? A, a large do- brand. Domino's. Right. Domino's. And so Domino's, you order pizza at Domino's, you call in, somebody answers and takes the order. There's a huge amount of variability with the person you're gonna get on the phone. And there's churn, right? There's um, employees change, so you keep retraining them. Now, if you move that ordering flow to an app, which now everybody has a phone, right? What can you do with that? You can control completely the experience that the customer has in that digital relationship versus this phone call that could go great. And you can do all kinds of other things on the customer service side, like uh, providing a tracker so people don't keep calling, where is my pizza? So there's great opportunity there. But um, I'm old enough to remember when digital intermediation came to hotels and hotel Uh, operators will tell you they were asleep at the wheel in the mid-90s. Interesting. Did not, even though they had e-commerce. Right. right, They pioneered this whole idea of buying stuff online. Uh, They just weren't prepared. And so.
2: For, in other words, to not interrupt, but in other words, to be able to book your own room online. Yeah, they weren't prepared to
1: serve that need. I see. And so as, you know, as people are getting on the web and. A reservation for a hotel room is the simplest product to fulfill. You don't have to ship a book. You don't have to taste it, try it, feel it. You learn about the place, and you book it, and the fulfillment is an email. It's a perfect digital transaction. And so who sees that and jumps on it? Microsoft. I don't know if you know, but Expedia was created by Microsoft. Did not know know, that. It's really, really interesting. And so then you take that... uh, So that's the double-edged sword. I have a friend who has a hotel in Lugano, Switzerland, and he basically says I have two owners. The building owner, to which I pay every month the rent, and then Booking.com, which is the Expedia of Europe, to which every month I give a quarter of my revenue.
2: A quarter. Now, Stephen, I mean, as you evaluate decisions about whether you, you know, engage with these digital intermediation companies, or, I mean, do you partner with Grubhub, or, you know, how does it I mean these decisions that you're trying to evaluate and yes
3: I mean so if you took all the third-party delivery services for us obviously when you know that was part of our life with the pandemic when that was really our only lifeline of business was having that ability to do it and but you know the continued trade-off even now is look we're paying rent brick and mortars we spend a ton of money on trying to make beautiful restaurants and finding that happy medium in between pushing a third-party delivery service and getting that food out there and the cost attached to it, as Gabe was talking about, you know, you have to weigh the pros and cons. So at the end of the day, let's assume nothing was wrong in the world. And, you know, I, I think we would still continue to make that choice just because... You know the you know from emails to e-commerce i mean everybody's living by a phone or email and business never stops it you know and i think it's a little bit of a shame but you know the family <laughs> meal isn't what it used to be but if we're able to provide that family meal through a third party delivery service and still make the memory at the table for for those folks then then we are doing our job and that cost you know it's the cost of doing business at that point and you know or that one taste could bring them back into the restaurant to get the full experience, which is what we all hope for. So
2: do you all use at some of your restaurants or all of them, those third parties? We party? use them at all,
3: all of at them all right of now. Them. yeah. Uh, you know, when, when we open up a new one, we have to make sure that we can handle the internal business. And, you know, look, each one of those apps have on and off buttons, and when we have a great crowd in the restaurant, sometimes we're not able to, to deliver at that point. But, but you know, they're, they're very functional, and, you know, it's been a game changer. I mean, it, our to-go business... Even now, as thing it's still very robust. Driven mm-hmm. by, I've got my reports from the third parties today, the delivery services, and I can't deny the amount of sales that we're doing through that. And you know, and it's a great way to get the food to people guess that maybe couldn't come.
2: Having that data, getting those reports every week mm-hmm. or month or whatever, that's very helpful.
3: Well, presumably, it, right? I it's mean, super helpful. Let me just throw one other thing in there. I mean, what we also created because of those services was what you'll you've probably read about it, Gabe. I mean, these ghost kitchens. So in in the New Yorks or LA's, the world, you start seeing, you know, you have buildings that aren't being used and kitchens that aren't being used. So Mm -hmm. chefs that had restaurants that were closed down were going into and brokering deals for kitchens and creating restaurants that solely moved through third-party delivery services. So we created City Taco during that time it's sent, it still lives as our ghost kitchen that we do all the food out inside of city slice pints and pizza so but we, we're now offering on the menu as well but that was the innovation there and i've got a lot of friends that are doing these right now as in a sense test test models for eventually doing a brick and mortar of those concepts
1: one one thing that scares me though about intermediation like this is the fact that you lose the direct relationship with the customer, right? That's me part too. Uh, aside. <laughs> right. <laughs> aside from from the the margins and the and the financial aspect, there is that intermediation, mm-hmm. literally. And um, you know, I think though. Again, I, I I remember how this all played out, and sure. it has played out with hotels. Mm-hmm. And Fifteen years ago, twenty years ago, the the, the movie. But there's one key difference, I think, between hotels and restaurants, which is typically you purchase a hotel room night, right? The, the service of a hotel in a city that you don't know, because mm-hmm. in your own city, you have your own house. Mm-hmm. Right. You don't need a hotel, right? right? Um, and so there's a lot of uncertainty around that. Purchase decision, particularly if it's the first time you visit, Mm -hmm. and and so it lends itself to that kind of intermediation. But restaurants, you know, you have your crowd, your Mm -hmm. local crowd. So I always wonder how, you know, and and the definition of a professor is somebody who has many questions and no answers. So I have lots of questions. (laughs) I, I, I couldn't help you answer them. But no, seriously, though, I always wonder how you make the decision of... In essence, forcing people to go to your app Mm -hmm. because you're not on a third-party app, and I recognize that's very difficult to do during a pandemic, obviously. And the the same thing, you know, the same parallel in hotels was Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 9/11. 9/11 hits the Four Seasons New York is four percent occupied. Mm -hmm. That means there's four room occupied out of of every one hundred. I mean, can't survive. Yeah, yeah. So then the intermediaries become the way to move, to move inventory. Mm-hmm. But as, it, as business comes back, I wonder if there's this ability to, to say, hey, you know, you're a loyal customer, we we need you to come through our direct right. relationship. I, I wonder how that
3: plays I'll, out. I'll put it to you like this, it's really centered around one word and this is a real big advantage for us and it's called Louisiana. Uh, the culture here is different, like, I mean, I. I completely understand what you're saying and and i'll get to the the second piece of that which is pushing them to our personal our intellectual property but you know people were dying to get back out i mean we saw 2021 you know if it wasn't for the delta variant i mean that was hands down one of the best years we've ever had right the business came back and because people wanted to celebrate i mean our catering business alone because of parties even if they weren't able to go directly to the restaurants they were doing things at their houses or you know, getting together as families and celebrating. And our catering business doubled in one year. And it was just a remarkable push. So now I will say this to the, the question of, of how do we drive them to our traffic. It's finding actually other technologies that allow us to do that. So if you went and searched on for City Pork right now and you Google that, City Pork comes right to the top, it's going to say, Powered by open table, powered by so and so, right? Because open table is buying those ads to bring it to the top for us. Hmm. But they also make a dollar on each person. And then we so we were doing that and then seeing the cost of that was, you know, I'm can't compete. I can't I mean yeah. now I'm losing more on top of what we're trying wow. to do. So then we found new technology called uh, another one called Seven Rooms that actually is able to usurp that traffic and go put us back on top. And we're not getting a punitive fee. And it comes with a marketing platform and a reservation platform, which if you wanted to parallel the hotel business, that's where we sit right now, where that reservation system now has become, you know, the, a totally integrated piece of everything that we do mm-hmm. from customer loyalty to relations, to talking even through a computer to our guest on a day-to-day basis. So it's been totally fascinating. I, it's amazing that we're talking about this today in that You know, I I told my chef, I was like, did you ever think that we would be working on computers all day long?
2: You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking to Stephen Hightower of Citigroup Hospitality Restaurant Group and Gabe Bacoli of LSU's E.J. Uso College of Business. So that's what I wanted to ask you as a follow-up, because, I mean, you're an expert in the restaurant business, and that's how you've come up, right, and a successful businessman, too, but... Like, who's doing all this tech research for you? Is it you? Do you have a partner that really focuses on the tech side? Or Cause uh, this mean, is a lot to master, right? Right.
3: I mean, both my partner, Patrick Valuzzo, and myself, I mean, we spend a lot of time on, you know, trying to learn the trade. And that's research from culinary dishes to styles to what's coming up. And, you know, I think my a little bit of my engagement in the Louisiana Restaurant Association, being on the state board there, has really helped network those ideas. Mm-hmm. I mean, we during the pandemic, we had you know weekly calls sometimes more than that ed- educational calls trying to figure out ways to to capture business period and it's been a fascinating journey over the past two years that really has led us in in the technological realm and you know now i'm trying to find competitive advantages to continue to to elevate that i mean
1: and you're and you're getting to a size where you can spread all this cost mm-hmm. across seven concepts or, or what it is right, right. then much harder to do when you're just a single independent um, you know and for example just to give you an example what I was thinking about Domino's themselves Mm -hmm. they don't participate in the third party delivery uh, apps is it because they have their own whole? so they came with an asset which was their own delivery right right? and um, it's interesting because if you trace back the history of uh, Domino's digital innovation started way back in 2008 I believe uh, with kind of an idea that, you know, that kind of pizza is a commodity. And so how do you differentiate when you're in a commodity market? You differentiate with relationships, right? With, mm-hmm. Which is the Amazon model. If I'm selling books and everybody else can sell, where do I differentiate customer service? And mm-hmm. today customer service means digital customer service, right? So customer service systems that are IT powered. And uh, so they started basically this journey early on. And today, so they came equipped mm-hmm. with the, the, the culture of, this, of uh, delivery, which was to pizza, was natural, but also with a lot of assets in the digital space. And even then, um, there's other cases. Panera tried to disintermediate, go direct, and then they went back to mm-hmm. channels. It's still not easy right. to do interesting um but they i don't know if you've seen that commercial from domino's I about, about the, the, the no fees, oh, tell right? me about it i don't watch
2: tv yeah the, the
1: freeze uh the they call it uh freeze instead of fees mm-hmm. and they're basically making a whole play to demonstrate that if you uh it's better to go direct So if you order through a delivery platform like uh, Uber Eats, there are all kinds of hidden fees. Mm -hmm. But if you order with our app, we will deliver some frees, breadsticks, whatever. And they're
3: giving away gift cards to local restaurants. And
1: then they ramped up the fight by saying, Mm -hmm. you know what we do now? We also give away uh, gift cards for the local Mm -hmm. restaurants. So they're making this an industry battle, right? They're moving it from a Domino's battle to an industry battle.
3: No, I mean, and they were the forerunners. I mean, their app alone, I think, set the bar. You, know, you obviously have done a little research on them, but, I mean, from what I've heard and read about, too, that their app is, I mean, still set the tone for everybody and what they are still trying to live up to, how great it is from, when, you know, delivering the information from we're preparing to order we're mm-hmm. on the way. And, yeah. and it
1: started, actually, way, uh, before the iPhone. They right. started with the, the pizza tracker on a website. That's it. No, and kidding. you make the order, and you could track it. And if you think of it from an efficient system mm-hmm. point, mm-hmm. Uh, you can see the ROI is less people calling and disrupting mm-hmm. the operation. Hey, where is my pizza? It's yeah. you know it's mm, football night. Uh, Where's right. my pizza? And that but that became the kernel of a positioning, a strategic position, a digital strategy that is now has them prepared to try and actually. Basically, spearhead the fight of mm-hmm. the industry against. Well, like you said earlier, their
3: asset was the delivery before this even started, and they so complete opposite model for us. You make the relationship based on their technology with their brand, like that's the relationship made. It isn't about necessarily that person outside of you know. Now mm-hmm. they're just simply managing a great person that can drop off that pizza, and or they can leave it on the doorstep now. So it's, it's how good is the technology? How great can they be in their efficiencies? to deliver on time, and that's the relationship. I mean, there's so many more pizza joints that have come since Domino's started, but my relationship is with Domino's because I know it's going to be consistently on time and I can watch everything that's happening.
2: So how do you see it playing out? I mean, somebody like Domino's, because of their size and scale and and the delivery asset Mm -hmm. that they had in place, I mean, maybe they'll always be able to stave off the third parties, but for the smaller chains or the smaller restaurant groups, is it inevitable that they... Did you have to migrate this way, or can you?
1: Who's taking this? You want me to go first? I think about this a lot, yeah. And yet, it's hard to make a prediction. I, I would think that behavior has changed, right? Mm -hmm. This ordering and getting food delivered to your house, even really high-end food, Mm -hmm. not just pizza. um, That that consumer behavior may go back down from Mm -hmm. the peak when people are more comfortable, but it's not going to go away. It's convenience, right? Mm -hmm. Humans gravitate to convenience and and digital systems create convenience, right? That's the the match. Um, But I am wondering if um, the emergence of white label delivery, there's companies in Europe that do white label delivery means um, you order through my app, So it's a city port app. I have the relationship with the customer. And then I have drivers that I don't pay as my employees, right? They're a third-party delivery operation. And they deliver for everybody. But they're white-labeled. They don't have a name. They don't get – they don't intermediate the relationship with the customer. They just do a piece, and it's the delivery. I wonder if that is the the holy grail. So that's what's happening right now.
3: I mean, that's where you're going to see – I mean. You know, I couldn't have made it without waiter. But why is there stock plumbing? That's that's what's going on. So you're get so our reservation platform now has brokered a contract with DoorDash nationwide, and we can put on our order online and delivery. And it looks so it's like, like it's coming from us, label. but it but it's actually a DoorDash delivery person that's doing it. Now, so interesting. So now, but I'm then the fees
2: out, are less, right? For yeah, for you yeah, for to it's going to save us
3: but potentially 16 percent, right from where we sit right now, which is tremendous. Now that makes this totally fascinating and to your point now it's our relationship that we can control and we're communicating back to them on feedback it's not you know it's it's fascinating but at the same time now so the our reservation platform uses DoorDash so DoorDash in Baton Rouge doesn't have the footprint they have nationwide Mm -hmm. so I have to vet those drivers so I'll I will put in orders through ours just to see what happens and I've so learned like you
2: can manage the relationship, there's no, liqui- you
3: know. no liquidity, right? That's right. There's not enough driver to
1: get the orders
2: you
3: with out. that brand. Now, if it was Uber no, Eats that they'd partnered with, oh, I'm all about it because they're everywhere.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. The, the, and then becomes a strategic choice at that's that right. point, right? Because, because if you can actually do the delivery, let's say you can do it fast enough. That is, from a service standpoint, mm-hmm. acceptable then it becomes an incremental then then if i'm uber eats i'm telling you hey but you lose all this incremental business of the Mm -hmm. people that want to uber tonight they don't want to necessarily eat city pork but then they go in and they see you and Mm -hmm. so then they start selling advertisement so you have to come up on top this game has played out this movie has played out and i'm in negotiations
3: trying to broker a deal for our platform with uber eats because i'd prefer to use them As opposed to DoorDash to try to change that, establish a relationship where I, then then I'm going to feel a lot more comfortable about making that decision to front face our own delivery service.
2: Well. I would love to continue this discussion because it's so fascinating. Unfortunately, we're out of time. But Gabe Bacoli and Stephen Hightower, it's always so refreshing to realize the breadth and depth of expertise that exists in Baton Rouge. You know, and we like to beat ourselves up a lot in South Louisiana for being at the bottom of so many rankings. But you both help us realize how much creative and intellectual Capital exists in Baton Rouge. So thanks so much for taking time to be here with me today. Thank you. appreciate it so much. much. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been Gabe Piccoli of the E.J. Uso College of Business at LSU and Stephen Hightower of Citigroup Hospitality Restaurant Group. You can learn more about the LSU E.J. Uso College of Business and Citigroup Hospitality Restaurant Group by going to our Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, La. If you want to know what we all look like you can find photos from this show on La, and on our Out to Lunch Baton Rouge social media Photos are taken by Eric Otts and you can find more of Eric's photos on Instagram at at acro that's A-C-R-E-A-U-X Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM the producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Today's show was engineered by J.T. O'Neill. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti, And our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Anne Edelman. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you around the table at Mansour's again next week for
0: more business Baton Rouge style
2: on Out to Lunch.
0: Out to Lunch Baton Rouge is recorded live over lunch at Manser's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Manser's is open for lunch daily, 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Joneswalker.com and by the East Baton Rouge Parish School System, inspiring humanity through transformational learning in the classroom and community, initiatives like Pathways to Bright Futures allow students to graduate high school with an associate degree or an industry-based credential, along with their high school diploma. More information at ebrschools.org. And by 3-Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane, 3-Roll is cane to glass. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.